earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today's part eight in our series, The Acts of the Resurrection Life. And if you missed any parts, the podcasts are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. So, friends, in our thematic journey through Acts, we're tracing the lives of the apostles and disciples of Jesus and the resurrection power they manifest, also spotlighting the actions and power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, today's title is Pride and Prejudice. We're up to Acts chapter 10, 1 through 48, and we'll observe the breaking down of Peter's personal prejudices that were religiously driven. But before we begin, I'm curious if you're familiar with the comic strip Mama, Mel Lazarus's comic strip, retired in 2016, is a delightfully insightful commentary on life. In one comic, Mama's youngest son, Francis, drops by her house and says, Mama, I'm bringing my new girlfriend in to meet you. Now, will you keep an open mind? Mama replies, Yes, dear. Then Francis repeats himself, Remember, Mama, an open mind. Open mind. So Mama waits, with a big grin on her face. In the last frame of the comic strip, Mama turns to the reader and says, You'd be surprised how much prejudice can be crammed into an open mind. It's been said only a new love can destroy an old prejudice. Believe me, friends, pride and prejudice are peppered throughout the Bible's story, and the early expansion of the church is no exception. Ultimately, though, ethnic tension is only resolved in Christ Jesus. So, we're in Acts 10 now, but let's refresh ourselves that the end of chapter 9 makes a transition from the ministry of Paul to the ministry of Peter. Here, Peter travels about the countryside and happens upon a paralytic in the city of Lydda, whom he heals in Jesus' name. Because of that healing, many residents there and in the city of Sharon become Christians. Peter's travels then take him to nearby Joppa, where he learns a woman named Tabitha was sick and died. He prays over her and raises her from the dead. Well, Peter stayed in Joppa for a while with a tanner named Simon. Remember now, friends, before we unpack chapter 10, we already know a lot about Peter, don't we? From Acts chapters 2 through 4. Acts 2 records the day of Pentecost. Remember what Peter and the other apostles received that day? They received power. And what was fulfilled that day was what Jesus said to the apostles in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be my witnesses. 
Now, friends, on Pentecost, the first demonstration of the Spirit's power was the miraculous ability to speak in languages they had not previously known or learned. Acts 2.4 says, All of them, the apostles and the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Our English word tongues here is a leftover from prior generations where tongue was used to describe a language. French people often say lingua franca, meaning their native language or French tongue. The Greek word helps here, dialectos, meaning dialect. Acts 2.6 says, A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one, all of the language groups represented at the Pentecost festival, heard their own language being spoken. Then in 2.8 we read, How is it that each of us hears them, the disciples, in our own dialect? Here's our Greek word, dialectos. Peter was quite aware that he had received power when the Holy Spirit came upon him because shortly after, he and John met the crippled beggar at the temple gate. Remember that event, friends? He was begging for money, and Peter looked at him straight in the face and said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The man jumped to his feet and began to walk. Now, because we're so often enthralled by the miracle of healing, we miss another very significant factor. The factor is Peter admitting to the crowd who witnessed this healing and were amazed, explaining, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter then tells the onlookers that the power to heal this man came from Christ's resurrection. In other words, it was resurrection power they witnessed. So, Peter freely admits that the power he displayed was a divine enablement from the Holy Spirit. This is important to remember, friends, as we transition into Acts 10. So please read the entire chapter. It's stirring. I will highlight a few sections today. Chapter 10 begins, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. In other words, he was a Gentile Roman military officer. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear and asked, What is it, Lord? The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So, friends, the stage is set for what is about to happen next. Notice that there's a spiritual sensitivity or openness present in this man, Cornelius, a Roman pagan. The New Testament expression is God-fearers. They may even be identified as God-worshippers. 
This first century term referred to Gentiles, non-Jews, who were sympathetic to Hellenistic Judaism and who observed certain Jewish religious rites and traditions without becoming full converts to Judaism. The Jews considered them only partial converts, but we shouldn't view this as a negative. Certain customs were unappealing and repulsive, like circumcision. In the first century, it was common for Gentile men to exercise nude an hour a day in the gymnasium and in the Roman baths, and men didn't wish to be seen in public, deprived of their foreskins. Friends, think of the significance of the true gospel, where the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Acts 15, a council had to be convened. The issue at hand among some Messianic believers became whether or not Gentile converts should obey the ceremonial requirements of the law to be accepted as Christians. Think of the significance of Paul's message, salvation through faith in Messiah Jesus, as opposed to submitting to the ceremonial laws in Judaism. And it's here that many God-fearers found an essentially Jewish group to which they could belong, without the necessity of their accepting Jewish law in toto. Friends, this was a fact indispensable to the spread of the early Christian movement. Unfortunately, it ended up leading to the sharp distinction between Judaism and Christianity as two separate religions, instead of originally viewing the Messianic believers as a sect within Judaism. Well, back to Cornelius and Peter. Friends, I've mentioned that Cornelius had a spiritual sensitivity and openness to God's message, which blooms later in the story. Yet, Peter's religiously driven personal pride and prejudice required a much stronger persuasion from God for him to become a participant in the full conversion of Cornelius. Now, I don't want us to miss another tremendous truth that surfaces in this story. So the first thing I want us to see is that this story unfolds in the context of prayer. The two main characters, Cornelius and Peter, are given additional spiritual light during their times of prayer. In 10.3, we learn Cornelius prayed to God regularly, and the text suggests that during one time of prayer, he had the angelic vision. Friends, this is supported by verse 30, when Cornelius himself later relates his story to Peter, that, I was in my house praying, and suddenly... A man in shining clothes stood before me. And regarding Peter, in verse 9, he's up on the roof praying and fell into a trance, seeing heaven open and a large sheet coming down with all kinds of unclean animals, and a voice saying to him, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter freaked out. That's my paraphrase. He resisted and replied, Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Well, to make a long story short, God had to do this sheet thing three times and finally say to Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. In our modern vernacular, it might be like saying, don't you dare. Well, right after this vision, Peter gets the proverbial knock on the door. Cornelius's troop has arrived, and the Holy Spirit tells Peter in verses 19 and 20, Simon, 
Three men are looking for you, so get up and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter invites these men in as his guests, and the next day he sets out with them to Cornelius' house, where Cornelius was waiting with a bunch of people he had invited to hear Peter's message, his relatives and close friends. I think you know the rest of the story, don't you? Here Peter's pride and prejudice surfaces when he recounts to the group his own vision in verses 27 and 28. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Notice, friends, God is already at work, peeling away Peter's personal religious pride and prejudice. Peter even recounts this in 11, 5 through 17, when he went to Jerusalem to tell his story. He even adds a new dimension to his revelation. If God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift he gave us, receiving the Holy Spirit, who believed in the Lord Messiah Jesus, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Are you connecting the dots here, friends? Are you realizing that cultural and religious prejudice actually stand in God's way? The second thing I want us to see in this story is God's participation, God's involvement. Perhaps you've heard the term providence. From beginning to end, we're watching God's providence here. Cornelius' conversion should awaken us to three things. First, divine preparation. God cares for everyone. Second, divine participation. God works or acts behind the scenes. He's actually planning and orchestrating openings. And third, divine payoff. In other words, the end result. God prevails in concert with our participation. Friends, we must be conscious that the end result of God's divine involvement is to break down the barriers of personal prejudice. You've heard me say this before, that God gives us a love and compassion for souls, the souls of all people, regardless of their ethnic background. A few sessions ago, I said that power, the power we're tracing through Acts, cannot be divorced from compassion, and compassion cannot be divorced from love, agape love. Jesus himself becomes our example. In Matthew 9.36, Matthew says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I'm convinced, friends, that just as the apostles and disciples of Jesus were to be motivated by the same love for the lost that Jesus had, so too are we. Personally, I think the trouble is that we no longer see the unsaved people around us as harassed and helpless and without a shepherd to guide them. Just think of the unprecedented times we've been living in this last year and a half. How many harassed and helpless people have we reached out to and offered them a shepherd's touch to lead, guide, and help them through these horrendous life circumstances? If we answer none, the church has failed miserably. 
Friends, it pains my soul to read seven times in the book of Revelation. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and wonder if our modern church is actually listening to what the Spirit is saying to all of us during these not only challenging, but opportune times. Paul admonishes the church in Ephesus with these words, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Friends, the Lord's will is, the Spirit has revealed what God's will is throughout the book of Acts. As in Acts 1.8, a verse we've been periodically regurgitating. But do we grasp its significance for our own personal lives? Right here, right now, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There it is, friends. Can you tell that this is just a morphed version of Jesus' great commission? Well, let's get back to Cornelius and sum up a few things about him. Acts 10 seems to portray Cornelius as one of those Gentiles who realized the bankruptcy of paganism and sought to worship the monotheistic God of the Jews, practice a form of prayer, and lead a moral life. In Acts 10.22, the servants of Cornelius said to Peter, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. My take is that Cornelius represents those people who respond to the light of Christ in stages, increments, if you will. And as God reveals more to them, they respond favorably and eventually come to a full knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord. Friends, Cornelius is my personal patron saint, so to speak. My own spiritual journey occurred the same way. I received the light of Christ in stages until as a young adult I realized the full import of Christ as my Savior and Lord. So, in Acts 10, we see God calling Peter to bring the fuller light of Messiah Jesus to the world as Savior of Jew and Gentile to Cornelius. It turns out that devout God-fearers provided the most fertile soil for the gospel to take root. But initially there was a barrier, a spiritual chasm, so to speak, between Peter and Cornelius. Although Peter was a messianic believer now, he was still a good Jewish boy. Place of birth, cultural traditions, skin color, gender and nationality still separate us, don't they? But the gospel calls us together as one family in God's household, God's church, if you will. Our differences were a natural byproduct of the fall shortly after creation, and our sin spread with us over the whole earth. Because of our fallenness, we erected cultural, class, color, and gender barriers. But God is not a respecter of persons and doesn't discriminate. He sees us all as persons he's created, as objects of his love and concern. The ultimate act of God, then, the gospel, if you will, is to tear down the artificial barriers, the personal prejudices erected by us humans. So, friends, God got Peter's attention in a rather unique way, wouldn't you say? 
God seized Peter's consciousness and dropped a sheet filled with all sorts of unclean animals in his lap, and then said, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response reveals his shock and repugnance as a good Jewish boy who followed the strict dietary code of the Mosaic Law from Leviticus 11. My take on this, friends, is that basically God was trying to get Peter to understand that Messiah's death on the cross fulfilled the ceremonial stipulations of the law, which included the dietary rules and restrictions. It's interesting that in one strain of Judaism, there was a messianic expectation that anticipated a declaration that all animals would become clean. I believe that Jesus prepared his disciples for this eventuality. And it's especially noteworthy just what Peter deduced from his vision. In a sense, we could say that he realized the moral of the story. It wasn't just that foods were no longer to be designated clean and unclean, but that people were no longer to be designated clean and unclean. You know, Jesus being the clean ones, I mean the Jews being the clean ones, and Gentiles being the unclean ones. Friends, in the first century, the Jews viewed all non-Jews as unclean or common in their vernacular. Commoners, therefore, were shut out from God's covenant. The practices of the Gentiles were referred to as common things, that is, things forbidden by the Mosaic Law. We could even say that Jews saw Gentiles as unclean animals. So this was a tough barrier to clear away, to dismantle. In fact, it was one of the great barriers of separation between Jews and Gentiles. But removing this was absolutely necessary if the world was going to be evangelized and the body of Christ united. Recall how Peter described the effect the sheet of unclean food in God's declaration impacted him. It is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. And friends, let's recall the additional insights Peter got as he retells his story later on in chapter 11. Three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. So, when Peter and the men with him came to Cornelius' house and went in, Cornelius shared how he had seen an angel who told him to send for Simon, who is called Peter in Joppa. The angel then said that Peter will bring them a message through which he and his household will be saved. In 11.15, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning, referring to Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Apparently, God showed Peter that if he opposed this new understanding, he'd be opposing God himself. The Spirit was nudging Peter to reach out to those who were different from him. Friends, this event in chapter 10 that bleeds over into chapter 11 is important for two reasons. First, since Pentecost, Peter had been the outstanding spokesperson for the church, so it was particularly important that the Holy Spirit change him. And second, 
Cornelius was the first Gentile to become a Christian, so it was crucial for the church to realize that its mission included Gentiles. As well as Jews and Samaritans, the Holy Spirit was carrying the church over its single most important threshold, the racial or cultural barrier. The realization for us is that the Holy Spirit seeks to break down every barrier which would prevent us from witnessing to anyone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear your feedback and what this program means or has meant to you. A listener recently wrote in and said, I am very encouraged by the insights and viewpoint of Pastor Tom as he shares from the Bible in the Word from the Word programs. Thank you so much, Pastor Tom. Well, thanks to you for those encouraging words. And remember, all podcasts of A Word from the Word are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. And if a word from the word blesses you, please join the support team. People like you keep this listener-supported program on the air. Just ask me for the details. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com